Good morning, Brian. Well, Donald Trump is always great news value. His decisions are terrible, but they do get great coverage. He is appointing uh, dud uh, appointments to top positions. He is firing good people. He is uh, pardoning uh, jailbirds of various kinds, all associated with his own entourage or himself. He's thinking about pardoning uh, the uh, the Tiger King, this <laughs> this weird guy that you may have seen on Netflix uh, that uh, abused tigers and is now serving uh, a prison sentence for uh, uh, plotting the murder of his rival. Uh, nevertheless, uh, he's also trying to pull out the troops from Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, and, uh, and Somalia, now, you might think this is a good thing, that uh, the reduction of troops abroad uh, would reduce tensions, but in fact, it's the opposite. Trump is being advised by his generals that if U.S. troops leave, then al-Shabaab and the Islamic State and other uh, radical terrorist organizations are simply going to wait, and then they're going to take over the local governments in Africa and the Middle East. So uh, this is ill-advised. He's also uh, increasing arms sales. So the United States is already the richest arms peddler in the world, and this is increasing. He's, he regards this as a great triumph of American salesmanship, uh, whereas uh, in reality it does create uh, tensions uh, in various parts of the world and raises the danger level. Well, uh, new tariffs against Europe, a refusal to work with the World Trade Organization, which is virtually paralyzed because there's no American representative there. The very latest thing, Brian, is that uh, he's called a summit of uh, people to talk about Operation Warp Speed. Now, Operation Warp Speed is a commendable effort by the U.S. government, led by Trump, to speed up the development of a vaccine against the coronavirus. We'll have to give the president a little bit of credit here. But what he's doing, he's closing out the Biden team. And the Biden team that's going to be responsible for actually handling the vaccine and distributing it to Americans, uh, over 300 million of them, uh, he, they're not part of the summit. So Trump is trying to take full credit for this. He's not working with the transition team that will be responsible on the 20th of January for actually taking it out of the laboratory and putting it into the arms of people who need it uh, efficiently and fairly. So, uh, yeah, we, we, have, we have problems with this president, and he continues to act as if he's still the president and he continues to carry out these erratic policies. Uh, meanwhile, President-elect Joe Biden waiting patiently in the wings. How is he coping with uh, President Trump's refusal to concede the election? He's been amazingly calm, and I think people appreciate the fact that he's, he speaks like an adult. He talks directly to the American people. He's assembling a cabinet, a cabinet that is, it's, it is the most diverse cabinet in American history. Uh, the latest appointment is a, a lieutenant general, retired, who is an African-American, and he will be the new secretary of defense. Uh, other people, the, there's a Latino, uh, there's Asians, uh, there's various people in the cabinet showing that, uh, and a number of women in, in very top positions, showing that the Biden cabinet is going to be the most representative of the diversity of American uh, ethnicity and gender uh, in the history of, of politics there. So that's a good sign. 
He's going ahead with policy. He's making plans. Uh, he is uh, 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 proceeding uh, to assemble a transition team. And because he also is a very experienced guy in Washington, having served as the vice president, uh, when he takes over as president on the 20th, I think we can be confident there will be a smooth transition. He will take the reins of government in his hands. He and his team will move ahead uh, as, as a team rather than as a one-man show, as the Trump administration has proved to be. So I'm optimistic that uh, uh, things are, are, are moving in the right direction. Uh, and that despite the Trump uh, disruptions, uh, the Biden team is going to... Uh, is going to administer the country in a stable fashion. Whether it will solve all the problems, we'll be talking about this all next year, Brian, but the signs are good. Hmm. A bit of history now, Dr. Stephen. Russia and Japan have a long-standing border dispute. In a nutshell, what's it all about? Well, you have to imagine the geography of Japan. You know, it's four large islands. Well, up above the northernmost island of Hokkaido, there's some tiny little islands. They're called the Kuril Islands. The Kuril Islands are a chain that stretch up to Russia, up in the north. And at the end of, uh, uh, of World War II, the Russians' uh, troops moved right down the Kuril chain and took over these islands, four of which were settled by Japanese under an agreement made in the 1800s to divide uh, the territory between the Russians on the north and the Japanese on the south. Now, the Japanese want these islands back, uh, and uh, the Russians refuse to, uh, to return them. Uh, consequently, this disagreement means that the Russians and the Japanese are technically still at war. They have not signed a comprehensive peace treaty uh, after World War II. They have a declaration of, of, uh, of intent to cooperate. But uh, like the two Korean governments, there is no official uh, uh, peace uh, agreement between the two countries. Uh, consequently, the, uh, the, uh, the Japanese have been uh, strengthening their defenses and their military capability, largely to deter China's growth of military strength. The Russians then are uh, reacting by strengthening their uh, fortifications in the Kuril Islands. They put in a new air defense system, the S-300. Uh, they've built up uh, their troop level there. Uh, so it looks like there's no solution in sight. Uh, the dispute uh, in this what's called the Northern Territories in Japan, uh, the, the Northern Territories dispute uh, will continue for some time. Let us hope that it stays peaceful that, uh, that uh, sensible heads will prevail, because the last thing we want is an outbreak of conflict in that part of the world. Mm. Closer to home now, the disputes uh, between Australia and China seem to be getting worse. What's the latest, and what are the chances that New Zealand will be harmed by the Australia-China friction? Well, the latest are the uh, tariffs that the Chinese are imposing uh, against coal, cotton, wine, education, seafood, uh, are, are beginning to hurt the Australians. 200% uh, tariff on wine. Now, as somebody said, uh, uh, well, it, won't this uh, benefit New Zealand because New Zealand wine will be relatively less expensive in China than the Australian uh, counterpart. But uh, we certainly don't want to take advantage of Australians' misfortune. The last thing we want to be seen as profiteering from uh, this dispute. Uh, the, the Australians, uh, the most latest thing is they're concerned about something called Confucius Institutes. 
These are institutes sponsored by the Chinese government, uh, funded by the Chinese government, that are in some, oh, 13 or so Australian universities, and they teach Chinese language, and the Australian government is becoming a little bit suspicious that maybe they're also uh, spreading Chinese propaganda, uh, boosting Chinese views of, uh, of politics, and maybe even conducting espionage and interfering in Australian domestic affairs. So the government has now uh, passed legislation allowing them to, uh, to have a closer look at what these uh, institutes are doing. Uh, the universities are a bit concerned because that does infringe on academic freedom. They don't want the government to be heavy-handed and, uh, and interfere in, in legitimate uh, educational programs. So there is a bit of a dispute there. The Chinese, of course, are quite angry about this, and uh, there's no doubt that they will continue uh, to pressure uh, Australia to accept the Huawei uh, 5G network uh, to, um, uh, to allow Chinese students uh, to come in and, and, and uh, study at universities and otherwise uh, to cooperate and to stop criticizing China's heavy-handed uh, suppression of legitimate political action in Hong Kong and legitimate freedom of the Uyghur people in Western China. Uh, these are intractable human rights issues, and Australia, like New Zealand, uh, will have to speak out and assert their values. Now, will New Zealand get pinched between the two uh, giants? It, uh, it is possible. Richard Preble has written a very thoughtful article in this morning's uh, New Zealand Herald, and he asks the question, why should the um, SIS um, and, and the GCSB and the New Zealand government join the Five Eyes Network and criticize China's policies in Hong Kong? When did this intelligence agency become a foreign policy and a human rights advocacy agency? Uh, that uh, the, the, There are other agencies like um, the new foreign minister, uh, Anaya Mahuta, who should be enunciating foreign policy and human rights concerns, and she has done so quite correctly. Uh, so there's a question uh, that uh, is, is New Zealand by being too outspoken, jeopardizing uh, our access to the China market, which is our number one market. So there is a lot of thought going on in Wellington uh, about how to assert New Zealand's legitimate values on the one side, but how to protect New Zealand's trading interests on the other. Mrs. Mahuta says we have a mature relationship with China. The Chinese will uh, accept that New Zealand is quite separate from Australia, that policy has to be made quite clear to Beijing and that New Zealand has to show it is an independent actor and its products are good for China and therefore China should not punish New Zealand uh, even though China and New Zealand will disagree on human rights and political questions. Mm. And finally, uh, to the Pacific region. Well, Pacific region, the two uh, items that caught my eye uh, are, uh, first of all, the um, uh, the, 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 the question of uh, tuna fish. Now, tuna is a vital resource of the Pacific, and there are two tuna management associations, one in the Western Pacific and one in the Eastern Pacific. Now, the one in the Eastern Pacific is deadlocked. They cannot reach agreement in the inter-American uh, arrangement. 
that looks after North America, South America, Pacific Coast tuna management. And consequently, if they can't agree, then the poachers are going in, the, um, the, the legitimate companies are going to exceed. Well, there won't be any quotas because they can't agree on quotas. They're going to fish then uh, with, uh, in an unrestrained fashion and further deplete the tuna stocks. Now, the contrast is that in the Western Tuna uh, Association, the one that New Zealand and the Pacific Islands are members of, are doing much better. And the, uh, the current view is that uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the director of the Pacific Communities Oceanic Fisheries Program uh, says that uh, the fishing is within quota, that the stocks are recovering, so the contrast uh, is in our favor, and let's hope we keep it that way. But, of course, the tuna migrate, so if the tuna are depleted in the eastern Pacific, it's possible that the western Pacific tuna will migrate uh, and they will further be depleted. So it's not like we can isolate the two parts of the Pacific. We have to continue working together. Well, uh, finish, I'm sorry to say on a little uh, less happy note, uh, that is in New Caledonia. We've talked before about the, uh, the uh, nickel mine. It turns out that the South Korean company, Korean Zinc, has pulled out of plans to bid for the Brazilian-owned Vale nickel plant, uh, and uh, the Brazilians want to close that plant. Well, the consequence of that is that this is uh, thousands of jobs are going to be lost. The income that the nickel exploitation and exportation generates for New Caledonia will also be lost. So it's a really big deal in, in that part of the country. Uh, the multinationals are after profit, they're after efficient management, but the human consequences of their uh, footloose movements uh, in and out of a country, in and out of certain industries, uh, are, are quite uh, dire. So we'll keep an eye on this one, Brian, and uh, hope that uh, some solution will be found, that the nickel will continue to be mined, that the jobs will continue to be there for the new Caledonian workers. But uh, let's, uh, let's watch this from week to week, Brian. Mm, will do. Dr. Stephen Hoagley, Associate Professor of Politics and International Relations at the University of Auckland's Faculty of Arts. Uh, thank you, Dr. Stephen. Catch up next week and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you, Brian.